Hello and welcome. We are honored that each one of you would sacrifice your time on this, the most cherished of holidays, St. Valentine's Day. Of course, I'm talking about our Apocalypse Duds Mad Men Roundtable, sponsored generously by Lucky Strike, Old Crow, Brooks Brothers, and Colt. Literally thousands of man hours, woman hours, and non-binary hours all boil down to this moment. Gathered here this evening at the Sugarberry Ham Amphitheater in freezing New York, New York, February 14th, Valentine's Day, 2024, at 7.30-ish p.m. Eastern Standard Time. The stage is set. Dedicated and eager listeners, our candidates may seem familiar to you. This is because they have already passed our legendarily rigorous vetting process and have shown an innate ability to articulate even the most complex of points. Each is an expert in a varied art. Our powerful panelists will now have one minute each to describe in as much detail as possible what they do and why they're experts on Mad Men. For the one person in the audience who has not listened to every one of our episodes forward and backward, we present Darren Johnson, menswear activist, <laughs> menswear archivist, historian, <laughs> black ivy black belt, <laughs> uh, ZGB, preppiest of witches, writer and tastemaker, Brett White, pop culture encyclopedia and drag star, orange cat fanatic, Sam Rockwell, mid-century magician, model, and movie maven. So I guess, Darren, if you could start us off. Absolutely. Uh, let's see. Describe myself. Uh, Ivy enthusiast, I say. I've been in this uh, probably about 25 years or so. I've been collecting Brooks Brothers and what have you. And then not only am I interested in clothing, but I'm interested in like the sociological aspects of clothing and how it relates to the individual, right? Um, not only just wearing the clothes, but how does that relate to the person? And how does that relate to their, you know, their self, their sense of self? So that's what fascinates me most about, about vintage clothing. Excellent. Like that. That's <laughs> uh, yeah, a man after my own heart. Uh, Zoe? I'm a writer, illustrator, and editor working in antiques mostly, but also I've been in menswear for about five years now, and 10 if you include my time at J. Crew. And I am interested in clothing and its sociological implications and how things tend to just come back that classic styles will always endure, which is something we'll be talking quite a bit about tonight. Excellent. <laughs> Thank you. Brett? Hi, I am uh, Brett White. I'm a pop culture journalist, TV critic, etc. Uh, from a senior reporter producer from Decider.com. I host a must-have seen TV podcast. Um, I have always worn clothes, so, so therefore I've always <laughs> worn them. <laughs> no, um, no uh, uh, yeah, I mean, I've been taking it seriously for 10 years. And I am also a drag queen uh, named Barb Hardley. In my, um, I would say spare time, but you know what is time anymore? <laughs> and you know that that's uh, that's the tip of the iceberg. So there'll be more, I'm sure. <laughs> and last but not least, Sam. Hey, um, so I am a costumer in the film industry in Atlanta, and 
my my love and my background is specifically in period clothing very very long time collector of most things mid-century and it just seems as time goes on I just collect older and older um but my I I have a, a master's in really in vintage and historic dress and all the sociological things that we have discussed so I think we all have a common point there um but yeah, I've just always loved clothes and I love historic clothing and the history of clothes in relation to cultural history. And I love taking all of that with me whenever I am costuming on period shows and movies. I, I really don't think we could have compiled a better group of four people uh, based on those <laughs> answers. So um, yeah, guys, thank you all uh, for joining um this is a fun project that connor and i've been kind of like kicking around for a long time so we're we're very excited to um to get started and to to share this project so um starting let's go the same same route um starting with darren then zoe then brett then sam um give us a quick synopsis of what you were doing in 2007 when madman premiered and what what kind of stuff were you wearing oh wow uh 2007 i was probably getting married at actually that i got married that year and um i remember i was wearing more Ital maybe italian clothes i had a little mix of italian clothes but it was mostly like ralph Lauren when he was making those uh corneliani uh pieces that were mm -hmm sort of English and Ivy, but they were made in Italy. So it had this weird dichotomy of, you know, of influences in the, in the, in the clothes that I was wearing. Um, and I was actually coming back from a plane trip from Chicago where my wife at the time was living and Mad Men was on the, um, you know, on the movie list of, you know, things you could watch. And I watched the first four or five episodes. And after that, I was like hooked. I was like, this is so compelling and so different. Uh, and so nuanced. Uh, I just binged it after, you know, when I got home on demand and I just watched every season from that, from that point on. So. Hell yes. Yeah. So. Oh, I'm next. Uh... Yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> what, what you got going on in 2007 and what, uh, what were you wearing? I, in 2007, I was a sophomore in high school. Okay. Oh, and... okay. <laughs> Sorry, everyone. I, I feel very um, old and, now. Thank you. <laughs> and I was wearing, when I wasn't in my school uniform, I was wearing skinny jeans, bow flats, um, a, as much rugby Ralph Lauren as I could get my grubby little mitts on. <laughs> and, and everything that entails. A friend actually asked me today if I had any icons, style icons in high school, and Blair Waldorf from Gossip Girl came right out my mouth. But I... I watched Mad Men for the first time with my parents because it was coming on TV. And after it was over, we all were just slack dawed because I, I watched everything with my parents, all the age Sopranos, Six Feet Under. Oh, wow. And all right. Yeah. And after that, it was just like, wait, this is on cable. <laughs> so from there on, we were hooked. Nice. Nice. Oh, yeah. 
And Brett's? My turn. Yes, sir. Hey, I got it. I got it down. Uh, so summer 2007, I uh, moved to, to New York City. Uh, I graduated college in a year prior, so I moved to New York City. I had just taken my uh, uh, Improv 301 at the Upright Citizens Brigade Theater, so therefore I am uh, wearing black frame glasses, Converse, jeans that I have walked the excess uh, length off of instead of getting hemmed. <laughs> um, I have very short legs. Uh, strokes t-shirts, Decemberist t-shirts, uh, vin- uh, thrift store plaid button downs, uh, corduroy jacket, um, or corduroy uh, blazer. I mean, this, this is kind um, of like the peak of indie sleeves also. Yeah, I mean, this is that. that's, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. I... I in college, my college years were 02 to 06, so that's Strokes, Fly Stripes, right, Lives, right. Uh, you know, Walkman, et cetera. And I was Interpol, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was very big into the college radio. Um, I was a radio DJ. Uh, and yeah, and uh, I didn't start watching Mad Men until 2008 or so because my mom got me turned on to it because she was like, <laughs> they all, they're all smoking on TV all the time. I remember this. You know? <laughs> Um, but like, but like what, what I immediately took to was that, um, the dandier, uh, uh, trappings or inclinations that I have always had were very much represented on that show. Cause I am also a huge Nick at night person as evidenced by the wall of old television behind mm-hmm. me. Um, and so it being a period piece, uh, really spoke to me and also had a huge crush on Harry Crane, uh, rich summer. But that um, would prove to be dangerous as the series <laughs> went on. Um, except, uh, man, as the series goes on, the looks just get better. Um, yeah. yeah, that's yeah. Oh, and also, uh, bring up a topic to bring up later is yes, I did perform Mad Men Improv twice. Oh, uh, where I play. Yeah, so I, I yeah, yeah we're, we're gonna get into that for sure. Stick a, stick a pin in that. I'm One of them was for the. Yeah. Oh, yeah. There's, there's, yeah. Drunkest I've ever been in my life for one of them. But anyway. (laughs) (laughs) All right. My turn. Um, So good to know I'm not the youngest one. Um, (laughs) I was going into my senior year of high school. um, And so at that time, also in school, had to wear uniforms. But outside of school, I was, I don't know. I, I did my own thing. Like before we had uniforms, I really was wearing like full skirts with cardigans, like doing the whole, whether I knew it or not, 60s thing. Um, and as a, you know, 17, 18 year old of the aughts, also definitely into the way too skinny jeans and the you know wet seal t-shirts and <laughs> old forever 21 and delia's and all of that all i was like shout stuff. out to structure and express men I right mean, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like yeah. I, 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 I remember a structure store at the mall that i went to in high school i never could afford anything there and this is long before it got a hot topic so yeah mm-hmm. Yeah, I was, I was gonna mention that like 2007, I moved to New York, so I've discovered H and M. Right. Oh yeah. I'm, I'm from I'm from Tennessee, and we didn't have no H and M, you know, back there. 
anytime any of my friends from college would go to New York and come back, they would come back with like, this is an H&M coat. We were all like, oh my God, uh-huh. it's so cool. And then, you know, now, now I understand what H&M's whole gig is. <laughs> we should have been that impressed. A hundred percent. Yeah, I remember when our the mall back at home in Ohio got its first H and M. I was in. It was probably actually around this time. Um, yeah, oh seven. Yeah, yeah. two thousand seven, two thousand eight. Yep. Because um, it was kind of remarkable. Yeah, it really was. It was. It was just we never had anything else like it. Um, and I probably didn't start watching Mad Men until I was in university, and like binge watched it and then caught up and was able to like watch it weekly um yeah i think think that's how a lot of of us like started watching it i i did not get into it like at the very beginning but i think like Mm -mm. 2009 uh 10 when it started like being streamed on i think hulu like would air it the day after yeah yeah yeah, that that was my shit. Like it, yeah. it just took off from there. Yeah, Zoe. Yeah, Zoe, you made a good point about um, this being like on cable, and you know, I'm not a Brett is the is the pop culture historian here, but it did seem like one of the first shows of this type of caliber on cable television um, in the, in, yeah. you know, like I, I would wonder some thoughts on that. Yeah. I mean, cause uh, it, I'm trying to think breaking bad's premiere was January. 08. Okay. That makes sense. Yeah. Because uh, like Matt Weiner, well, first of all, uh, if you go listen to my podcast, must have seen TV, Matt Weiner started out <laughs> as a staff writer on the CBS sitcom Becker. Wow. Starring Ted Danson <laughs> in the late nineties. We wow. covered an episode of it. I was like written by Matt Weiner. What? Um, so wild. Uh, I feel like, but then he, didn't he go, was he on six feet under? Like he had, he was on the Sopranos. He, he was on the Sopranos. Sopranos. Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. So he had like HBO cred and I think it was like trying to shop Mad Men around there. And it wasn't like no one wanted this show. And it wasn't until he went to AMC because at the time AMC was known for, mm-hmm. uh, when I was in college news radio reruns, and then um, remember when W E N N just was like a <laughs> like a, a '90s uh, cable sitcom. There are very few of those then. And then uh, yeah, and then AMC. You know, it's always like those networks that have nothing to lose and everything to prove. Who's just like, sure, we'll chuck a whole lot of money at you to make this show. Why not? We got whatever. And that's how you know AMC then became essentially you know an HBO right. but on cable. Like it, it immediately became prestigious. Uh, well, I mean, I don't know where it is now in 2024. Uh, everything's everything's messed up now. Anyway. Yeah, everything's streaming. <laughs> everything's streaming. Yeah. They have Fargo now, so they're good. Oh, yeah, they're right. Yeah, Mad Men was just so different in terms of um, what it was about, right? Because it starts off with this narrative, and you think it's this just straightforward story because it begins with him, and it shows his life, and at the end, you realize that he's sort of like lying his whole way through uh you you come to the realization that the woman he's with is not even his wife at the end of the first episode if i correctly right so right away it establishes that this guy is mm, like yeah. mm-hmm. not a good person and um that's what i thought was really interesting about the show right because it sort of set up this archetypical kind of old-fashioned gregory peck kind of 
uh, archetype. And at the end, it sort of deflates it, like saying, okay, this is not what you think, you know. And other shows have, like, built on this sort of premise, like Game of Thrones has, has done that too. It sort of subverts your expectations in a really good way. And that's what I, I really liked about the show. And that's what drew me in because I like to be surprised. I don't want to have something just rote and just standard. I want to I want to be drawn in by the complexity because, you know, that's what makes it interesting, you know. So, yeah. Yeah. Totally. Totally. Uh, Sam, what drew you into the show initially? Like, it, you're, you know, you already said that you were no unknowingly, like, you know, in 2007 when it premiered into 60s period stuff. So what was it for you that really caught your attention? Um, I mean, a big part of it probably was, like, the fashion um, that initially drew me into it just because of how well done it is and I've actually been I because I hadn't rewatched it since who knows when so I'm rewatching am I am I the only person that has watched this 10 plus times like I I feel like going to my knowledge you've got to be one of the only people on earth that has watched it Uh, yeah yeah this is I'm probably at like three it is too emotionally heavy of a watch for me uh because i i it's such a it's such a touchstone in my life in terms of like the time period that it was on and like what i was doing it's so crystal clear in my brain and characters mean so much mm. to me i mean i call it my favorite show but i probably haven't watched it in like very long time. Uh, okay. it's hard it's hard it's really hard it's really hard to like get back into it's like god yeah, drag race drag race <laughs> i got it all the time because that goes <laughs> i had a similar experience re-watching it I think it was in 2001. It was during the COVID times when we actually had time to watch eight seasons or however, 93 episodes of one series. But I remember it was the first time I rewatched it since it came out on, as it was coming out. And it was just, it, it was jarring in so many ways, just reliving it yeah. as mm. an adult. It was just like, mm. oh, it hurt. A lot oh, of it hurt. Not- yeah. Right. But- <laughs> right. Yeah, it, it's it's not it's not. I I am that weirdo that has gotten stoned as fuck and just like this was a comfort show for for a long time. And well, I will say, so there is something. I think I did rewatch it a whole lot, like while it was on. I think like every time a new season would start, I would probably rewatch the last season and get ready. And for a while, it was my comfort show, which I would always say like I don't know what this says about me mentally, but like this is comforting to me. <laughs> right. And. But I think like what I always found comforting about it was uh, people loving their job and like giving their all to a job and a, and a, and a craft that they were honing. Uh, and that was at a time when I was trying to do that as well. Now I'm just defeated by life. And yeah, it's a very it's like very American <laughs> in that way. And I think like even more complicated because of that right, that's that a great particular point. facet. I think probably um, Peggy. Is Peggy? Peggy is probably the purest example of that. Like, she's the purest character on that show to me. Is is, is her? Yeah. Um, I I think she's sort of the beacon of goodness in that whole show because everyone around her is kind of despicable, from Roger to Don to, except for maybe Joan too. So the female characters on that show sort of anchor, right? It, um, and they provide the beacon of okay, this is 
the standard and this is how we should be conducting ourselves. And the men are just running, running, rag, running wild through that, that entire series and just doing all kinds of despicable things. So losing their minds. <laughs> right, right. My beloved Harry Crane. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Give him a little bit of power. And yeah, man. Uh, Zoe, what was the first thing that you remember as admittedly the youngest of the six of us here? Um, kind of sticking out to you. Uh, you know, like my experience with it is not the same as anyone under the age of 20. So I, w- I would just like to like to know what what really stuck out to you and like drew you into it. I was also very compelled by Peggy's story because I was in high school and I don't know what it's like now, but if you mm. accidentally got pregnant, your life was over. And with Peggy going through all that, I mean, that was harrowing because I was afraid, you know, everyone's <laughs> afraid, even if you're not even sexually active in high school, you're scared. Right. right. Yeah. Because that's what we do in America. Yeah. But what got me the most, I think what stands out, I think it's the second, it's right at the beginning of the second season, is when Don goes to visit Peggy in the hospital and she's just kind of zonked out after having her baby and not kind of catatonic. I would say, but he says to her, you're going to get out of here and this never happened. It will shock you how much this never happened. And for me, that was just Mm -hmm. one of those moments I'll always remember like, whoa. Yeah. Yeah. Extremely heavy. Yeah. That that's really, it it took a season to get into it where it was just, you know, not kind of the stuff I'd seen in movies or anywhere else with, it took that existential Mm -hmm. left turn Mm -hmm. where it was just like, Mm -hmm. Oh, we're all reality here. Okay. Yeah, there's a quote in the document that Wiener says, like, I wanted to do a series about the 60s. Every event in American history happened in the 1960s. Like, the pill. Mm -hmm. The pill is the most, like, miraculous invention ever for of all time, period. No pun intended. Um, And... (laughs) that's like right right i think that that's like i think that that's a really good observation as well that like doesn't really get discussed yeah. um when talking about the show so but at the same time it will it when peggy is given the pill she doesn't know how to use it properly she she doesn't know you have that waiting period before your hormones are all sorted out plus the doctor says to her now if you're irresponsible with this <laughs> I will take it away. Right. 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 Yeah. It's it's indicative of the time. I have friends who 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 stopped watching in season one because they couldn't handle the rampant misogyny in it. Mm-hmm. Whereas I, I totally understand in, that. In the same and in the yeah, yeah. And in the same vein, my I have older family members who mm-hmm. couldn't watch it because they said, No, this is what it was like. Right. Yeah. And I it. I don't need to see it again. So. That's a great yeah, point. That's what my grandmother I mean, says. It's supposed mm-hmm. to be. See, it's supposed <laughs> to be this not this wistful look back. It's supposed to be this cautionary tale. It's supposed to be this like, okay, look how far we've come, but we actually haven't come that far in terms of how we think, right? We just don't act on some of these impulses. But given the chance, most people probably would. I mean, drink any office smoke and treat women like trash. You know, you know. 
dismiss other races and do all the stuff that was, you know, very prominent during that time, you know, and, and it's supposed to be like, you're supposed to say, wow, it's not supposed to be wow, Don Draper's so cool. It's supposed to be like, wow, this is supposed to make you think and say, hmm, we need to probably do better. And that's, I think that was sort of one of the themes of the show. And it sort of gets lost with all the other gloss, the clothes and the, the fashion and Don and how cool he is and da, 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 da. But it's supposed to be like, hey, this is not okay. Some of the things are like the one gay character in there, they didn't even give really yeah. credence to his storyline. I mean, what was his name? It was Sal, I think. Yeah. Sal, so, uh, yeah, which, I mean, it very pointedly, like he you know, Don finds out that he's gay, doesn't say anything. And then like a little while later, he does, he like refuses to uh, put out sexually for the lucky strike cigarettes, yeah. dude. And because of that, they're like, well, you're fired. And like, you, and like, I, think, I remember Matt yeah. Weiner saying like, we pointedly, we will never see Sal again. Like even, even Paul Kinsey got like a nice little, well, not nice. Yeah. It was very bizarre <laughs> when he came back like later. Um, but it's like, we will never see that again. We'll never see Sal again. He's gone. Like that's, that's how it was. Then. And then, then, you know, Bob Benson having an arc later on uh, about also being gay, but having to be a con man like Don uh, in order to be uh, mm. a homosexual in the like, in the late sixties. Yeah. Um, I don't know, but I would still, but I'm all, man, I would, I would still trade if I could live back then. No, I'm going to go Yeah. It's the anti-hero problem, right? It's like <laughs> the Joker. It's like Patrick Bateman. It's like all of these people are sort of idolized to an extent, but the initial intent of right. the work is not that at all. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But it kind of, mm-hmm. what does it yeah, matter? Sure. Sort of. Yeah, should teach us something. It's it's complicated. Um, I, I, yeah, yeah, Darren. No, I it, said a lot of the the oh, underlying sorry, go ahead. current of it sort of gets got lost. I think you know. So this is something that I've thought about. Like you know, it, it's been almost ten years since the the finale season, and like I have changed a lot in the past decade. I think we probably all have. And, you know, like, I remember watching this show in when it was on air, and these were things that were that were a conversation. Like, oh, you know, people can't stand the misogyny or whatever. And then there were, there were these conversations. So, like, this is a really good point that, you know, there were a lot of underlying themes that I think did not necessarily get picked up on until more recently. And, you know, it, it's, it's interesting to talk about this now. Like, Zoe, what you got? I wonder, Sam, if you had a similar reaction that I did being in high school at the time when it came out and when we were watching it, that... I realized when I went back and rewatched it a few years ago that having seen it at such a young age, it had that impression on me of, oh, this is how adults behave. Because I definitely, when I watched it again, I was just like, oh, that's where I learned that. <laughs> I, I mean, didn't, didn't we all buy Lucky Strike unfiltered cigarettes? Yeah. <laughs> Like old fashioned. 
<laughs> I don't know if I had like that quite that realization. I mean, a, another thing that always that drew me into the show was was how grounded in reality it felt, good or bad. It felt true of a time in as in little mannerisms that people had in things that were happening throughout the office, how people treated each other, all of those things. It felt very grounded in a, and again, good or bad. And that's kind of what we've talked about is like people not wanting Mm -hmm. to watch it because of misogyny, Mm -hmm. which was grounded in the reality of everything. Um, You can't, I feel like with some, with some historic things, even if it's fiction, to portray it in a way that glosses over the the negative stuff that happened is an inappropriate way of portraying a history. Like we need we need to see every aspect of it, good or bad. Um, and I think I picked up on more of those things watching it as an old as an adult rather than watching it as a like late teens, early 20 year old that I definitely picked up on more and more. I think, uh, cause I just look, I like, uh, I am essentially what Peggy's age mm-hmm. was, uh, as I think Elizabeth Olsen is like, not, not Elizabeth Olsen. Peggy Olsen is played by Elizabeth Moss. <laughs> right, Elizabeth right. Olsen is yeah. <laughs> anyway. Um, nah, but she's like two years older than me. So I, related strongly to Peggy's arc because I at that time and this sounds wild and stupid but like the UCB improv comedy world was so much like Sterling Cooper Driver Price but it's like you know working you know you're you're working uh so closely with and collaboratively with people who all share like your same aspiration you're trying to be like the best at something and in the case of like UCB at the time we were being sold a bill of goods in terms of like bobby moynihan just got on snl abby and alana just sold broad city you're all gonna so it's like you know working on pilots going out and pitching and like trying so hard and you're watching was watching Mad Men and being like i relate to this like that that feeling you know the feeling of like we're working on the weekend we're all like loot the ties loosened we're laying on the ground getting high trying to think of an idea like that kind of dedication to where your personal life and your professional life just become an amorphous thing and i looked at it with envy <laughs> like, uh yeah so yeah I, I it is weird like i looked at it more of like a peer uh, mm-hmm. level of like this is what my life both is and what i would yeah. like it to um, i mean it's not to say is that, that good yeah. you know whatever yeah to be determined the whole show obviously it has its great <laughs> points i remember one episode that uh roger has this party and i think is it him i think he comes out on stage in blackface and i was remember Oh yeah, the yeah, men- yeah. yeah the men's oh, it's, it's his wedding, yeah. isn't wedding. it? Yeah, it's his uh, yeah. it's his wedding. Yeah, yeah, that's <laughs> that's the reality, right? And it and mm-hmm. it's supposed to make us comfortable, right? Instead of right like, saying, okay, I mean, I'll mm-hmm. just gloss it over. Supposed to have invoke a reaction, a negative reaction. Hopefully, I hopefully it did that. And some some people are probably like, yeah, see, people could make fun of people and not you know be judged for it back then. You know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there, there's definitely a legion of assholes that watched this show and did not get any of this shit out of it that we are discussing. 
And uh, I, I really don't want to know who those people are. They're not going to listen to the show. <laughs> yeah, they're not. They're, they're not our audience. Um, Probably love the Messiah. You know, the tree climber like that. You know, right, right, yeah, yeah. That's Everything good, came up dude. roses for Don Draper. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think part of that in that that episode in particular, that's the same episode mm-hmm. where Pete and Trudy have their amazing dance. Right. Yeah. The dance, but then at the end when uh, Roger comes out in blackface. It's interesting to see the reactions in the crowd because, like, some people are like, oh, but then others, like, I think Don and Betty are just like, like, yeah, on their face, and just like, what? <laughs> there's there's definitely a varied reaction that I think was another uh, subtle right. part of how that show was cast and directed. Totally. That totally. Showed, yeah. It. You know, everyone wasn't a. a virulent racist yeah. at the time but then others were like oh how cute mm-hmm. right, right. A card which, which brings like into view how this show you know it's a tv show of course it's going to have things that are animated um beyond maybe what was happening i wasn't alive in the 60s none of us were alive in the 60s we don't know what ha- what happened but you know one of the biggest things for me as like a huge fan of the show was showing a lot of various viewpoints um which zoe you just mentioned and you know that's not even something i've thought of but like as the show progresses into the later years of the 60s you've got like the anti-vietnam movement showing up you've got these these like historical things and so it i feel like the the people that did this really wanted to show a broadness of like hey mm. this was kind of the shit that was going on not totally concentrated on on one particular thing but but just showing like you know like you said not everyone is a virulent racist at this point um and there's a lot of you know there's a lot of like alternating timelines going like happening at the same time it wasn't right. super heavy-handed. Yeah, exactly. Like exactly, it wasn't like beating a dead horse in a way. Like it just kind of left things up to the viewer, which I think not a lot of um, media was doing at the time, and not a lot of media really does now. Yeah, it is. Go ahead. I think in a way, a way to just just real quick, like especially thinking about you know a period show that I've worked on and other other shows too it it doesn't seem to treat the viewer as though they're stupid to and trying to like over explain you either need to have a knowledge or if you're curious you're gonna go figure it out and with so many things that they use in the show as true points in history to then create things around whether it was like tragic events or actual ad campaigns or whatever it is, it it hopes that the viewer is has a certain, I think, level of intelligence or curiosity to figure out what maybe is real. And also just like the way to do subtle, long story arcs and character arcs and 
I, I just, I love like, um, you know, if you go back and watch season one, you're like, oh my God, that character was in season mm-hmm. one. There's, there's so many like, just like long, yeah, really good, uh, really good uh, story arcs. And when you're saying like that about, you know, having to know about, uh, go and look up things. I, I, that made me think of the, the episode where like Sally is staying with her grand, I think her grandmother's watching her at their like big house out in wherever, <laughs> whenever Betty's married to that drip of a politician. Oh, uh, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And there was like wait, a wait, real, wait. like, Hold on. it was like a real. <laughs> Sorry, wasn't he, he was on the Kissinger campaign <laughs> in the show. Oh God. And oh man, fucking yeah, See? rest in peace. Have to know, rest in piss, Kissinger. <laughs> right. Go ahead, Brad. I know, but like the night that, that the grandmother was watching, she was like glued to the TV because there was like a serial killer on the loose, like in the neighborhood or whatever. And it's like, yes, this is an actual was it like a nurse murderer or something? Like, it was so, yeah. And I, like I remember like nurses, looking up, I'm right? like, yep, this is a real thing that happened. So like, but that isn't like the moon landing, you know, mm-hmm. like it's a tiny little nugget of history that they were like, well, we can mine that and like have it actually add some context and whatnot. Oh yeah. And I think one more thing about the reality and imposing the reality upon the viewer and creating these avenues for further research is <laughs> that, it's right. not the Dick Van Dyke show. Right, right. And, and it's also really interesting that they used, I don't, I'm not sure if this was intentional or not, but if they used the concept of an ad company and an ad man from, from this kind of stamp, because I mean, the Dick Van Dyke show is just a great time, but I can't watch it now because it's like, I keep thinking, I keep <laughs> expecting a Mad Men type scenario to come in. <laughs> Man, <laughs> so, I would love to write that sketch. Oh, that reboot, but the <laughs> thing about it is that you can't—they um, take that template and they make it into what was, rather than the idealization. And there's already there's always that kind of American dream comparison yeah, okay. that mm-hmm. we get. That's pretty much in every episode. Though, I think. Uh, probably one of the um, inspirations for that show is probably the man in the gray final suit. I don't know if you guys are familiar with that story or, or that, that uh, it was a movie. I think it was a book and it's about this guy's disillusionment with the corporate, you know, made little that he finds himself in after I believe world war two and his journey to self, whatever actualization, realization of what it is, um, at the end of the story. And I think some of that sort of plays into Mad Men and like, it's this, sort of our typical story of legitimacy, right? Like you could probably say like the Godfather or stuff like that. I mean, he starts out as this illicit guy, but his his ultimate quest, this God, the Godfather, is to be legitimate, to be respected, to be accepted into main society. And I think that's what Don's arc is all about, is that he's the son of a prostitute. And he knows that he's probably deep down, he's starting, he's wondering if, am I any good? Am I like my father or my mother am i trash what am i and you know and he gets in with roger and he enters this world and that's something that they really don't talk about it, but don's not of that class he wouldn't be welcomed in the door but because he's associated with roger and because mm-hmm. of the status he retrieves at his job he's welcomed into these 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 places you know as this person you know and and what sets it up the the interest for me is that he knows he's not he knows he doesn't belong there but he's he's managed to sneak in so 
Mm-hmm. And Saltburn is a hot topic right now with the pulling from the talented Mr. Ripley, the works of Patricia Highsmith. And I think quite a lot of that went into Mad Men along with John Cheever and mm-hmm. James Saltburn and all the, those mid-century authors who were just on the cusp of being mm-hmm. like, oh no, this is not what we were promised after World War II. Mm-hmm. What's mm-hmm. going on here? So, they, yeah, I agree with yeah, you. Yeah, for sure. Cheever's an interesting one. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, especially if you watch The Swimmer with Burt Lancaster, it has, that's, there's a weird congruency between he and Don Draper <laughs> that I haven't really nailed down yet, but I, I'll get there. <laughs> Yeah, he well, Don was a yeah. swimmer, right? Yeah, yeah, he's yeah. a fan. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Big Don. Uh, <laughs> so it, if we if we can lighten it up a little bit, um, oh. let's let's go through favorite characters. Uh, starting, let's go th- let's go back to front of this one. Sam, who is your favorite character? I think. I, I mean, it should become as no surprise. I think because I'm a redhead and seeing like a hot redhead on television, I was like, <laughs> no, it's my girl. <laughs> I, I mean, I've always loved Joan and I love her, like her character growth throughout the show. And like, you get to see at the beginning of the show, she's very much the like, you know, sex pot of the office. And then as the show goes on, you actually learn more about who she is and right. her ambitions right. and all of that stuff. Um, but I mean, she's just has a, I love her so much. Well, she, she like, to me has always seemed like the head bitch in charge, no <laughs> oh, matter 100%. what the fuck was happening. And like, you know, no, knowing you like Sam and I are close <laughs> friends, like, you know, it's just like, it's that, that energy that is just exuding. <laughs> You know, and I like yeah, that, like that makes total sense. <laughs> I like her as a, yeah. as a jo- Joan is even. the fucking goat of that show. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Like not my favorite character that... personally, but overall. Yeah. I, yeah. I can't think of a better like overall character. Yeah. Brett, what you got for a favorite character? Um, God, all of them. So, so, I mean, <laughs> Okay, so I came out to myself uh, in 2005, and so this start, show started in 2007. So I will say that, like, Rich Summer as Harry Crane and Michael Gladys as Paul Kinsey are two very formative early crushes for me. Uh, so, like, I have very, very special place in my heart. And also just Paul Kinsey as, like, the bearded ascot-wearing, cardigan-wearing, like, pipe-smoking, uh, hoping that he can be a screenwriter. Like, you know, like, I, I love I love that character so much. Uh, and I remained a ride or die for Harry, uh, <laughs> even as he went completely off the rails. Um, best dressed character <laughs> of the show, though, by the end, by far. Uh, my style icon, perfect. Um, Lane, Lane, Lane Price, absolutely. Which is Jesus Christ. That's that goes in horrible direction. Uh, and I was Stan Rizzo for <laughs> Halloween once. So God, yeah, no, I mean, like it's. <laughs> It is everyone. It, it is. Uh, oh man, yeah. But also, just like Joan and Peggy are just so fucking like good. God, just you. You want to burn the amount of times I 
<laughs> picture Peggy and Joan in the elevator being like, I want to burn this whole place to the ground. <laughs> big move. <laughs> oh, big move. Yeah. All right, Zoe, you're up. My knee-jerk reaction to this question was Don because. Okay, that that's not expected. Okay, well, my but then I thought that's a bit basic of me because that's you know, but then. I thought about it more, I think, mm. and came up with Trudy Campbell. Mm. I love her. All right. She's in every scene, mm -hmm. everything she appears, every time she appears, it's like something good happens or something ridiculous, but she's always like, she's another one of those mm -hmm. backbones of the show that I think you mentioned earlier, Darren, that are just mm -hmm. like constant badass. Like, <laughs> she... For some reason, she married Pete Campbell, but then, <laughs> then she deals with yeah. him, and, right? And right. lays down the law mm -hmm. in such a yeah. way that is sublime. I love, and, and yeah, she's another one that all through the seasons is just so well dressed and looks great, and mm -hmm. yeah, goes with the times very well. Yeah. Ah. Okay. Uh, I think and Amy, finally Darren. I think she has the broadest arc in terms of how she uh, matures. Um, she starts out this like not frumpy, but just you know very conservative, and, and then just blossoms into this incredible, you know, powerhouse. And I think Don sort of sees himself in Peggy, and he sees. Matter of fact, his mentorship of Peggy is probably the only, one of the few redeeming things that he does in that show, and sort of nurtures her, you know, through and how she becomes this master. Um, ad person um, she's definitely one of my favorites and Bert Cooper Bert Cooper I love Bert Cooper oh. Bert is awesome <laughs> I love him I oh Bert him yes, yes. because they use him like this old man <laughs> in the mountain kind of wise man kind of thing you know you have to take off his shoes when you go see him and you know, it's weird weird thing <laughs> weird tentacle I, porn I, you know he's Awesome! How yeah, yeah, so, and uh, yeah. I love the episode when Pete sort of confronts Bert and says, "Don is not who I who he says he is. He's blah 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 blah. He's somebody else." And he said, "What did he say? He said that the person Don is a man. Whoever, yeah, he says ultimately cares them. I think he just says, I think he just says who cares or something along those lines. And he said, right now Don Draper is in this room, and I was like." What the heck? This is so cool and so wise, right? And just blew my mind. I love Bert Cooper. So, mm -hmm. yeah, I, I love that uh, that episode where he gets yeah, the art course. piece and he asks people to come into his office to like view the art piece and and, and tell you know tell them what they get out of it. And no, no one has an answer because there is no answer. Like this, yeah. This dude was just like a weirdo, and you know, like was. Oh, Zoe, please. So that, especially, uh, it's a Mark Rothko, and I remember. Right, right. I couldn't remember. Yeah. I remember at the time one of my art history girlies was so mad at the character that eventually becomes Roger's wife, because she goes and it's just a bunch of squashy squares. <laughs> And 
such great sense at that <laughs> that she like kind of fell off the show and i was just like that's a character point yeah 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 <laughs> so that's what you get with people who love abstract expressions right right I, I i know shit about art i could not tell you what that art piece means yeah uh, it was just a really funny part of that show for me Mm-hmm. Uh, Darren, we know that, that you are a collector of uh, old clothing magazines, mm -hmm. particularly. I don't know how far back your collection goes, but, um, you know, have you noticed since you're a huge fan of the show and it's based on advertising, have you noticed some, like, trends in the the ads yeah, from your sure. old, I think, um, uh, magazines I that you've seen mostly from 1984 to 2000 and also from 1957 to 68 so yeah i mean don's clothes are pretty much period correct in terms of what he wears it's more along the lines of what jfk used to wear it's probably brooks brothers but it's two button right because J brooks brothers had this line where um, they had the sack suits, which was the three roll two with the straight, you know, hanging jacket and the flat front pants. But they also had another line, I believe at that time, that was a two button um, with a slimmer pant, a shorter jacket. And that's sort of what Don's deal is, right? Because they had this weird kind of hybrid thing going on too, you know. Sack jackets and sack suits are sort of defined by their single vents. And some of, some of Don's jackets have double vents, which is, you know, in opposition to that. So... It, and it's true because when you look at, you know, some of the movies from that time period, you do have this sort of matchup. You have the three-year-old two, but jackets, but then you have the double flap pockets and you, you have these what's called frog pockets, which aren't like on the seam of the trousers, but they're in the front, sort of like a jeans style type of uh, trouser. So you had this weird mix of things going on in the 60s. And I think Don's clothes sort of stay true to that in terms of, you know, what I've seen in the magazines and also in old films. So... Nice. To open it up, does does anyone else have like thoughts on the period correct wardrobe? Um and and or not how period correct some things were? I just I love there's like, you know, I love how they made it a moment. I don't even know, it's like season four or five when there's they're all at like a, a party at Dawn's, I think, and all the men show up and they are all wearing <laughs> the most garish blazers <laughs> it's like all of a sudden it's just like we discovered plaids. <laughs> right. and, 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 but like that really does like mark this like sea change uh in terms of like the series because like it's like oh we are now entering the late 60s and oh that uh that is I think that's also maybe the same area, the episode where like Harry Cream pulls up in that uh, convertible and he's wearing like the mustard yellow like coat and like the huge <laughs> neckerchief and like just uh yeah that that's when like the show really uh, uh amped up uh in, into my into my neck of the woods. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny because that's when, for me, the, the show start. I started to be like, "Oh no!" Like, all this questionable facial hair, just like, "Oh yeah, this is great. This is so good." The three-piece suits for men who did not, uh, or not, should not have been. They really, they did Pete Campbell dirty, though. I mean, he's not a likable character at all. But good God, did they put him through the ringer? He probably was. He 
at the end of that show it was just like where are they now yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah but uh, i'm interested to see what you have to say sam as a complete expert <laughs> um i mean especially now like rewatching it as someone who actively works in film and television and like does this for a living now um there are things that i am impressed with uh when it comes to like little details of like you know we see we see people getting dressed or undressed quite often um and so ensuring that everything you know tip to tail is correct um even i have to like just looking at like the background actors it's pretty clear to me especially with the women like i can tell that all of them have the right undergarments on which is mm. a big bonus and a big plus like where the boobs sit are in the right spot and all of those things that are super important um that i have to explain to background all the time when I'm working with them. Mm -hmm. Yes, I do need you to put on this girdle. Please don't complain to me about it. Um, and I think I've brought to like talk to Matt about this before, but even little things in like actions that people do. One of my favorite things as I watch the show is every time a woman answers the phone, she takes her clip earring off. Yes. Every time. Earring comes off, earring goes, like phone goes up. And it's just those like little actions and little things where the costume is part of the storytelling. Um, even with like the pocket squares that each man has, each pocket square to each man is a little different, whether it's how it's folded or the design of it. And it says something about each of those people. So those also like little details of storytelling through the clothing, mm -hmm. through like historical accuracy is also stuff that I love looking at. And am now finally, I think, appreciating more now as someone who like actually does this. Speaking of background, I just remembered I had a friend who was on camera as a background actor, but he, it was when he was living out in LA and he got right to the front of the line because he brought his own 1960s suit. Nice. And nice. It, mm -hmm. it was such a good suit that they put him right next to Don. So I could see, I could completely see my friend Christian when I rewatched the episode and I was like, ah! <laughs> okay. Uh, okay. Real, real <laughs> quick. Amazing. Zoe, can you find a still of this and or take a screenshot? Because that's some shit we need to post. Oh yeah, sure. I'll ask him. I'm sure he has one. Oh, oh yeah. Well, I'll, I'll, <laughs> piggyback question what was the suit out of curiosity i'm i'm trying to remember it was like a gray blue i want to mm. say it was shark skin oh nice but i might mm -hmm. it was in a it was in an, a, mm -hmm. a nightclub scene i think I okay remember. gotcha gotcha yeah but it was it was a good one and he's he's yeah. a director so it makes sense that he would have this really suck to see that we were we were looking for like photos to promote this yesterday and there's like I, I don't remember what season it is but i found one like a promotional photo with with pete in a like teal shark skin suit which is something i would never wear in my life but i was just like that looks 
fucking crazy. <laughs> Everything Harry Crane wears in the last two seasons. That's <laughs> what I want my that's my ideal wardrobe. <laughs> and I love but it, like I but also like this character. It's super interesting that he starts out in 1960 as like the one guy that wears the bow tie, but like the horn room glasses, very meek. Right. Uh, he's very he he cheats on his wife one time and like is like, oh my mm-hmm. god, you know. But like as I will also defend Harry Crane in saying that he is the only person that thought television was going to be a thing and that they should, you know, right. and he was like the one person, but also Joan got him <laughs> that job. So also like, fuck him because he didn't give her credit. <laughs> but like, but then like, I love that like they, <laughs> his wardrobe, they show like the Hollywoodification. Like he's out in LA. He's got a horrible sunburn. Mm-hmm. Uh, I keep thinking, um, God, my the, the the image that's always burned in my mind is of Harry in like the tiny tiny swim trunks and like the open like Havana like kind of like shirt in his hotel room at in like Palm Springs and he's on the phone with Don that it's like burned into my head because it's adorable and also great. Uh, it's something about like he said like uh, don't use don't use travelers checks to pay for your hookers or something what Don says. I don't know. Really good, really really good moment. Yeah. <laughs> The show is about is kind of about the details, like, um, mm-hmm. are the details important? Are the details real? Uh, and so, to that end, there were lots of products that became popular, sort of inexplicable. Well, I guess not inexplicably, but you know, your tie bars, your office supplies, like desk lamp type artifacts you know so zoe i was gonna ask if you had any thoughts about that like from this year back to those years like was it all pointless (laughs) i guess like senseless consumerism in the 60s or now now it's it's hard to say i mean i know there was a run on bar (laughs) carts as soon as the show came up and know how many of them were brought into offices (laughs) not used as in the show yeah and there was a i saw i should have looked this up before i came on but there they found the actual bar cart that they used for don's office because it's it's a design it's Mm. a style with a designer that you can still find and it was like 11 grand yeah because following this show I don't know. I don't know if we can say that it completely influenced this mm. movement, but that's mm-hmm. when mid-century modern blew up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's always popular, but it was never mm-hmm. so popular as it was in, I'd say, like the past ten, fifteen years. That it can command these insane prices. Mm-hmm. That my mother, she loves it because that's what she had. That's what she liked when she was growing mm. up because it was just becoming the thing in the sixties. And it was so new and so sleek and so modern for the space age that they were coming through. And then we hit the bicentennial and that all went straight to hell. (laughs) But then it came back. So it's, yeah, it's, it's, uh, I don't know about the consumerism part so much, but I think that there was definitely more of a move toward the Scandinavian, toward the Swedish, uh, on the other end of Ikea. But then the kind of hunger for this sort of thing got ratcheted way up because it was more and more popular as the show went on. Yeah. 
and it has sort of sort of lasted i guess like i think that a lot of that stuff is still quite pricey but I yeah don't know that I mean, it's... there are so many repros of it though i mean right the, right just think of all the jokes we've seen about the eames chair yeah so every people start to know these styles and they recognize them because they were also reproduced to for great numbers and that was yeah. one of the first times that this was really being done yeah so yeah, I th and especially at the time of the show, that's when consumerism really was on the rise. So it's an interesting mirroring mm -hmm. effect that we see through these objects. It seems like Mad Men well like, debuted. I'm now like trying to put it in context. It's like it feels like Urban Outfitters and Mad Men and H and M and I, like all of these things all really did start crystallizing around the same thing. I mean, I just remember like Mad yeah. Men, like yeah. Mad Men circa. 2008 2009 is like the it was like it's probably its peak of um mainstream everything it just you know halloween in new york city everyone is in is in a 1960s suit you know right right <laughs> which, yeah which is yeah they're going to l string vintage or beacon's closet yeah. and finding some which shit. is coincidentally around the time that i did two Mad Men improv shows <laughs> in the new york city area <laughs> <laughs> we gotta know we gotta know we gotta know about the Mad Men improv i'm oh, sorry so, we have yeah, to like, know so, about it uh, the creek in the cave in long island city which is also where i would get married like 10 years later um is now it was a tex-mex restaurant slash comedy venue <laughs> uh in like 2008 or 9 like my team we hosted a uh every halloween we would host a themed improv show long form improv not who's lying um, where it was always like really like we the first year was like X-Men improv, which I spearheaded Buffy improv and like law and order improv. And then I feel like one year, like a couple years later, we did Madden improv and I was Harry Crane. But the unfortunate thing is this is like season two Harry Crane. So I was like, I have no personality. <laughs> it's like, uh, I should have played him later. Um, but no, like it was it was so fun. Everyone showed up. In you know their suits, but also, also we're like all like a uh, 24, 25 year olds in New York City who are underemployed in a financial recession. So we're yeah. all you know we're trying, it's we're trying to to get the looks down. But I remember we all that's like we all did a pomade for the first time, and we all we all ended up putting way too much in because we were like it isn't looking like it does on television. Just keep adding more, and then it was in my hair for a week. <laughs> Uh, that first that first show was very uh, was very fun and very indicative of just like how much of a moment Mad Men was having. I remember we had a scene where the guy playing Pete and someone else, uh, and then the girl playing Peggy like did the the Charleston or whatever like that episode just aired. Um, and then because they had heard that we did that that show, uh, God, Columbia's newspaper, the the college. Uh, hired us to perform at their holiday party, um, which is the thing that's just like, well, we are not professionals. I don't know why they're doing this. This is very... And so the strangest job ever of them having to stop the party so that they could watch us do improv <laughs> as as the cast of Batman. And for that one, I was Paul Kinsey. But I was Paul Kinsey mm -hmm. right after they had like abandoned him. Uh, when they when they did that amazing heist episode where they went to the new office and he was like, where is everyone? Um, so and then that was the night that we all were like, 
it was the night that our age really hit. Because <laughs> we'd never, I mean, I hadn't been around college students since I was in college. And I was just, so we all went to the bar and we all got very drunk. I mean, people forgot phones. Uh, it was, it was a yeah. fun night. Um, but, it you know. Like one. It sounds like a wild night. Yeah, yeah you know, just having. In the best way possible. Doing yeah. bad bit improv yeah. like all the cool kids do. <laughs> Sounds like a yeah, that's the moment, Brett, where you know where they sort of co-opt the uh, whole thing gets co-opted. Like J. Crew comes out with the super tight suits and the bar, bar tie bars mm-hmm. and the pocket square folded just right. And then, then I think uh, Banana Republic does a whole Mad Men line, and you see the Mad Men. Yeah. I was like, oh my god, that's the moment where it jumps the show. Oh yeah, and then you're like, okay, mm-hmm. now this moment is like past, mm-hmm. and it's not as cool as it was i don't know why that that happens i think it's just once it gets like co-opted in terms of like the general you know consciousness it sort of starts to go downhill in terms of the viability of a, as a, you know what i mean i don't know so oh mm-hmm. <laughs> totally zoe you got something to say on this when uh, the Banana Republic line came out. I was working at J. Crew in Boston, and the manager of that Banana Republic came into J. Crew because they were having a a party, like a, a shop party, that was Mad Men themed. And she said, "Yeah, none of our stuff is actually Mad Men at all, so I'm coming here." <laughs> Yo, I, I remember that collection. The collection. <laughs> yeah, it's it's so fucking bad. So fucking bad. Like we were when we were talking about uh this with Zach, uh Newton, we were all Googling to remember like how terrible this was. And yeah, it like I don't know why they didn't just get Brooks Brothers to do that collab initially. Like, I know it's you know, it's more expensive. It's not a mall store. Because they but, wanted to make a bunch seriously. of money. Well, they are now. Yeah, the banana. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah they, they certainly are now. The the Banana Republic shit was just so <laughs> terrible. Like all things yeah. considered. Uh, when was so, the Great Gatsby? From oh. No, 2013. So that would have been a couple years after the yeah, like 2011. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, also also not great, not great. Yeah. Uh, but, but the same, uh, one of the questions that you asked us about that, like, what influence has Mad Men had, or what did it have immediately? Totally. On, yeah, on on fashion. Then, I think in a lot of ways, it did kind of bring us back from the the ledge from the edge or even kind of hang, like, hanging off the edge because in the two, like the 2000s were a oh, mess God. and I'll talk oh. about this for days of how even even now like I went back and I looked at my my J crew catalogs from way back then and I was just like oh my god we all wore this stuff but then when Mad Men came out mm-hmm. I'm not sure like I know the skinny suits came post Mad Men but for a minute they were pretty okay but for women we finally got like mm-hmm. classic silhouettes back for a minute like stuff that actually conformed to the female body and made it look good rather than 
Teflon tops paired with low-rise skinny flare jeans. <laughs> the mean girls look. The mean girls look. That's back now. And gives me gives me PTSD. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. But it's ironic this time, right? I don't know. I don't think I don't it is. Uh, I, 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 I want... I'm just telling myself that. <laughs> I don't mean to go on a tangent, but I really want to tell like every Gen Z person wearing like the shit that I saw in high school. Gen Yo, that doesn't look good. It didn't look good then. It when doesn't look good like, now. When, when, I was, when I was in um, high school, all the girls were wearing like bell bottom jeans, and like my mom was like, "That didn't." Well, well, yeah. So yeah, this say, this is my point. Is better like, than aughts fashion. <laughs> I, yeah. Yo, I love seven. I love seventy style, and I graduated in O two, and so I know this is just my parents' reaction to me loving the shit that they wore in the seventies. But yeah. Yeah, yeah, like just come on, y'all, <laughs> come on. Uh, <laughs> Look, wearing wearing four camis with a dress. <laughs> And then wearing jeans under your dress and a weird belt and a top oh, or in a scarf that's this yeah, thick. And, and yeah. And weird, weird platform flip flops. Uh, yeah. Didn't 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 look cute when the girlies were wearing no, it to the no, I kids' mean, choice yeah. award. Yeah. In 2000, yeah. whatever. Because after that, it's the black square toe shoes and it's the nylon, black nylon back for men and all black suits. I mean, 2000 was just, yeah, the going out shirt with leopard. The going out shirt. Oh my. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, the going out shirt. Boy, I, yeah. That's, I've had a, I've had a, number of discussions lately with some of my girlfriends about the whole like day to night wearing like business casual to the club as like an 18 19 year old what was that why did we do that which which all brings us back to the fact that this point in time was like a catalyst for people People like all of us wanting to dress better than what we saw growing up. And well, like growing up, you yeah, know, it, loving uh, Bob. I mean, my style icons are Bob Newhart and Robert Wagner. So you know, take grain of salt, whatever. But like growing up, loving you, even an old soul since you were six. Like growing up, loving Nick at Night, and then you know, when I was in high school and college, I got super into the Game Show Network and like Charles Nelson Riley and like you know, and and seventies stuff, and so even like my aughts was still filtered through the 60s and 70s and i was looking around at everyone else like oh my god like i was dressed like a stroke you know right uh right these strokes yeah. not like i had a stroke um and so mad Men was this time where it's like <laughs> oh finally everyone's caught up Nicely to done. me and, and like it's and there's like oh this is great you know in, in a way mm-hmm. um and then and then it moved totally. on um, I don't know what it moved on to. Yeah, moved on to everything and nothing all at once. <laughs> uh, and I'm still. Well, I think some of that too is the yeah. the rise and access of the internet. Totally. I mean, we can we can now bring that into it too. Is like, you know, 
would Mad Men have been as popular and had such a cultural impact had it not also been for things like yeah. the internet and the the impact of access to shout out to my a uh, trend. Shout out to my friend Dinah Mel, all of a who is the, well of the illustrator that did the Mad Men yourself. Uh, I did yeah, not. yeah, because she she's a UCB improviser <laughs> at Rich Summer, and so. The story behind that is like Mad Men season one, he got Christmas cards made and Dynamo illustrated them and he gave them, uh, he gave them out. And then Matt Weiner and AMC were like, oh, this art style, obviously. Um, yeah. yeah. Uh, Dynamo did my podcast art. Must have seen TV. Go <laughs> but, but no, like the Mad Men yourself thing, like <laughs> such still have those as their yeah. avatars on like Facebook. Look, Facebook, obviously. Oh, yeah. Um, but then like the fact that Not Great Bob <laughs> is still. I think that Mad Men's legacy could probably be boiled down to, uh, not great, Bob. <laughs> I have friends who didn't yeah. know that not great, Bob was yeah. from Mad Men. Like, I oh, yeah, yeah. I forgot how she found out, but she, I put nah. something like that up. I think maybe the scene with Pete and she DM'd me like, I had no idea that was a Mad Men quote, but I've been saying it. <laughs> so, yeah, it, it, it ended that. Definitely. Yeah, it, it's it turned the lexicon. Yeah. And also just yeah, such a great wait. moment. It was like Pete's mom disappears on a cruise. Mm -hmm. <laughs> right. Uh, yeah. There's uh, a lot of poetry in, that, in, in Mad Men also, which I think is like not something that happens even now like they're not because don reads a poem i think in full um and i just was like who like who's 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 writing this into the show yeah and there's a whole account i think it's instagram that's called mad men reads where they show every time a character <laughs> And it's like, yeah, they don't really ever address it, but all of the books are specifically selected yeah. for that. Yeah. And much of them, many of them are done mm -hmm. reading. Just a further layer yeah. to that show. And Pete's the most tragic character on that whole show. He's just so, so pathetic. Mm -hmm. Like when he gets in a fight with uh, Lane, oh, rip my heart oh. out. <laughs> oh. <sighs> Well, but oh, also yeah. very hot moment for Jared. Oh, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, I, I gotta say, like, one of my favorite uh, moments on this entire show is um, when they're, like, doing their cue from uh, the English firm. And Lane just, like, picks up the phone Here's this boss young at him is just like happy Christmas and slams the phone. Gold. <laughs> Fucking gold. Well, and I yeah. Think yeah. The prelude to that that Queensbury rules brawl that he and uh that Roger and Pete have. Oh no, I'm sorry, that Lane and Pete have with right, right. and Joan listening in in the next room on the the dicta or not the dictaphone, but like through the speaker. But they all three of them, I think it's it's Bert, Roger, and Don, and they all stand up. And Roger's like, "I know cooler heads should prevail, but does anyone else want to see this?" And Don's like, "This <laughs> <laughs> is the curtains, so they can just have it out." And, see, that's oh. Like this is barbaric. That's what I love about 
about so Mad good. Men is that on top of being like the best drama, it was also like the best oh, comedy sure. for a lot of the years it was on. Oh, it's and it's also, insane! And it's because, like these mm-hmm. are like, people who are so well written that they are also like real people are funny. Like real people, especially like real yeah. people in advertising. So like the mm-hmm. fact that it was all like top of intelligence. What would actually happen? What would actually happen is people would be like, "I 100 percent want to see this. I 100 percent am going to listen." In. Right. You know, like oh, just so, oh, so good. The lawnmower, yeah, the lawnmower, of you know? course, uh, is like that. <laughs> yeah, that was like. Miraculous or something, just like amazing writing. That was a freaky episode because that's also, I think it's right after Grandpa Jean dies, and Sally thinks that the Barbie that baby Jean gives to her, she thinks it's possessed and she tries to throw it out the window, and then it ends up back in her room and she wakes up screaming. I think that's the same episode. That was a really spooky episode. I was going to ask you if there were any spooky elements, witchy elements to Mad Men to your perception. <laughs> so well, that's that, Matthew Weiner is fantastic with dream sequences. And I, yeah. re- it's, I remember this in The Sopranos where any dream sequence that Tony was having, there's one in particular where he sees himself as the Italian immigrant coming to the door mm-hmm. of some grand household and like talking through the screen door trying to call someone down and he just sees a pair of women's legs like just standing at the top of the stairs and then it cuts yeah just amazing and yeah and there are quite a few of them in mad men like that like when uh, betty is put Mm. under for her pregnancy or for her labor like how Mm. they used to just knock women out so Mm -hmm. they didn't have to think about it anymore that whole dream sequence mm-hmm. is mm. like you. C- someone could write an article just on that. So there's so much about like the subconscious and the conscious consciousness and the id that that show kind of just blows through. That you really have to go in looking for it in order to con- not conceive of it, but to nail it down. Mm-hmm. Because there's so much like Jungian psychology that goes into that show that it kind of, like it makes me. It surprises me that Matthew Viner hasn't done anything mm-hmm. since, except for that really bad book. Yeah, he did the um, the Romanoffs on Amazon Prime, and that's which you know. But that yeah. was also like eight I years, ago. Mm-hmm. six or seven years ago, a long time ago. I think yeah. sometimes you just like do it, and then you're done with it. Yeah, too. Really I mean. Good- you like are really, really rich yeah. mm-hmm. and you just like are not doing it anymore. I mean, Ted Danson <laughs> is free. Becker could come back. I support Ted Danson. I support Ted Danson working also. Um, but uh, yeah, y'all, thank you so much for coming on. Um, we, yeah. It's been a fun fucking discussion, and uh, I think people are going to enjoy it. Um, starting from the top with Darren. Um, ten, ten years on, um, what do you think um, the show... What's it impacting? It's still uh, impacting, uh, I guess is the question. Yeah, and like between fashion, media, whatever, like I, we 
we still think there's, you know, some Absolutely. sort think, of um, connection. And what do you see? The only character on there who was really sort of co- who would be considered Ivy was probably Pete um, in terms of what he wore regularly. Uh, I think the enduring legacy or uh, interest in mid-century clothing probably sprung from that to a degree. I know Tom Brown had designed this shrunken Brooks Brothers suit, and that I think that predated Mad Men to some degree. But um, I think just the interest in, you know, Brooks Brothers and Jay Press and, you know, Andover Shop and all these classic uh, menswear uh, companies, I think that was probably a legacy for a lot of young guys uh, from that they got from that show, and I think it continues on. And as Zoe mentioned, it goes into design as well. You know, I think, you know, guys are now conscious not only of wearing the clothes, but also in their whole environments are, you know, styled in a particular way. Uh, I think that sort of came from seeing that show, how it, the, the style was just all-encompassing. So I think that's probably one of the most enduring legacies of it. <laughs> and so that was great, Darren. That was fucking great. Yeah, that was fucking awesome. Awesome. Uh, I think that the one of the enduring qualities of Mad Men is its timelessness, and we've touched on that quite a bit throughout this conversation. That it's in a specific time, which makes it out of time, especially now because it's so it's so many years on from the 1960s. But because of that, we'll always be able to return to it in that little box of the 1960s. And I really think that people are going to continue returning to this show as a form of study, but also because we really haven't seen its like since. There have been many imitators mm-hmm. that tried to nail it like this, but I haven't seen, especially for, for cable. I mean, they, you yeah. know, there are a hundred series now. And this is when like series were really starting to become something to aspire to, not like, oh, you're just on television sort of acting. So I think it's endured in that way, but also Mm. just the the layers of it. Like there's so much to mine there. And just in a cinema like in as far as cinema goes, it really broke the mold in having something so cinematic for tv we we really i mean we saw there was hbo but on cable you never really you didn't see that up until mad men and even 10 years on going back and watching it is like it's still as potent as it was then so we're going to be finding new meaning in the show for decades to come and people are still going to be talking about it yeah it's gonna be different (laughs) in 30 years It's on Amazon now, or it's on Amazon again now. It just makes the rounds. Mm-hmm. It was on Netflix for a while, then Hulu, yeah. and yeah. Yeah. All right, All right. Brett, you're up. Uh, 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 uh. It is like working in television criticism and stuff. Uh, the focus is so much on what is new and what is debuting and what is coming. And so, like, in my profession, I feel like we don't really think about Mad Men as much as we should. Um, because the focus is always so much on new, 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 and then the proliferation of streaming services and just nonstop content. And 
nothing gets season twos, or if it does, it's like three years later. Like looking back at Mad Men is a very um, it both like created the era that we live in now, but also feels like the kind of thing that just couldn't happen now. Like you know, seven mm-hmm. seasons over was like eight years. Um, I remember like what there was like a two year break between seasons, and we all like <laughs> like lost our minds. Uh, now I don't I don't know when Severance season two is happening. Who knows? Um, and I, I will say like as me as a as a critic, like I don't know. I think I can kind of think of. Mad Men is almost like a shorthand for a, a, a feeling of when I'm watching a thing. Man, like Mad Men scratches. Andor is the only show that I have watched in a very long time that like hits the nerve in my brain of like, this is just like everything operating at peak performance. And like a Disney Plus series should not be uh, talking about such radical politics and taking its time. And like Andor is a breath of fresh air. Uh, and, and it's, it hits that same thing that like Mad Men did, but like it's very, yeah, it's very, very, very rare for shows to do that. Um, uh, and all those, all those homes, <laughs> the Sterling Cooper Draper Price office. <laughs> That design, absolutely perfect. <laughs> that lives in my head. That's my happy place. My happy place, if I could time travel and have any one dream job, it would be being an extra in the Christmas episode. Oh, God. Con- Joan leads the conga line through the office, and it's like, imagine that. You get a day of wearing period clothing and just filming the most delightful episode of Mad Men. Every Christmas when I watch that episode, I'm like, be one of those people. Uh, and Sam, finish us out. All right. Um, I don't know. I mean, I guess I'm just kind of going to like build off of things that everybody else has said and, oh. and also add add my perspective as someone who like, again, I work in film. I can tell you right now that there is no way any production company streamer would put up the money to make a series like this. <laughs> I, <laughs> I can course. tell you that right now. Like, <laughs> like the caliber that this show is done, like this period piece is done, is not something that even films get. And they did it over all the all of those years, and they did it at such a high degree, especially at a time when television still wasn't as quite as respected as. A cinematic art form the way that it is now and it's just it's amazing to me and I wish I could go back in time and work on the show <laughs> and, <laughs> and like I have access to a show that care cares so deeply about historic accuracy from all departments and I just you know, I'm out working on a period show right now. And over the last couple of years, like I worked on first ladies and we, we did from the late 1800s to the two thousands. And that was a lot. And we didn't have the budget to do all of that, but we did it and it looked good, but it didn't look as good as Mad Men did. Right. right. Which just did 10 years. (laughs) So I think like, I I wish we could go back and I really wish that streaming services and all of 
all, everybody who creates content could kind of realize that this is something that people crave. It's original. It's not a remake. Right. It's not a sequel. It's, it's special. And sometimes you have to let things grow before you just cancel them at season two. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like you and Brett would probably be good friends uh, because you probably have (laughs) similar uh, viewpoints. Anyway, y'all, thank you so much. This has been fucking fantastic, if I'm being honest. Um, I'm dishonest, Matt. (laughs) Am I ever being dishonest? No. You're a regular John Draper. Sam can attest to that. Um, y'all, <laughs> thank you so much for coming on. Um, so one last thing, each of you, Darren, Zoe, Brett, and Sam, give your at so we can promote you and okay. we'll do a collaboration uh, post. Darren J201 on Instagram. Darren. Yeah. Nice. Nice. I'm ZG Burnett on Instagram, B-U-R-N-E-T-T, and ZGBurnett.com. I am uh, at Brett White on Instagram and also at Barb Hardly on Instagram, depending on, you know, if you're looking for uh, menswear or drag. Hey, got both. And I am at Owlista, O-W-L-I-S-T-A on Instagram or SamKRockwell.com. Nice. Um, Y'all, thank you for listening. For the finale, we have a very special guest lined up. Um, I don't think I should release that information yet. Yeah. Unless you want me to, Connor. I know the That's secret. Fine. Some of you do know the secret. Uh, what I was going to say is we've had an idea. Please. Now, see, I don't know that anyone will call us, but they could call us if they wanted to ask questions about the show to someone who was on the show. We have a phone number, which is two zero two five seven three nine seven seven one and i will probably even set up the voice mailbox by the time you are calling yeah the the guests that we are going to have on the finale of our uh oral history of menswear as or uh sorry of mad men as we know it is brian Beth, who played sal romano if you would like to ask Brian back questions, um, please send us or call us and give us a voicemail. Um, if also, if you would just like to leave comments about why Mad Men rules um, and you have a connection to it, please give us a call. Also, we want your Mad Men uh, costume pictures. Yeah, also. yeah. We we also want Mad Men costume pictures. Um, anything related to Mad Men, send it to us. Uh, we're at Apocalypse Studs on Instagram, apocalypsestuds at gmail.com. And yeah, stay tuned for the finale of our project. Thanks. <laughs>